How do you smarten up? We test a few things, we learn quickly, make mistakes, and every time we make these small incremental changes, we're actually increasing the pace of change for our region. 90% of Australians live in cities. We're one of the most urbanised countries in the world. And if anything, we're getting more city-centric every day. That means it's critical we make our cities safer, cleaner and more efficient. How can we do that? Well, it starts with the Internet of Things. Are there ways in which we can improve transport? Are there ways we can improve services? It's about making sure that you have very informed and up-to-date information to make the best decisions and to plan for the future. Welcome to Telstra's Behind the Mic. I'm Adam Spencer, and together we're going to explore how IoT is getting used today and what it's possible to do in the very, very near future. We live in a world of infobesity. That's a clever way of saying we have more information than we can digest. We aren't just getting full, we're getting fat. And the danger is we're going to get buried under that pile of data before we can make sense of it all. When you start talking about connecting a whole city, well, now you're going from gigabytes of data through terabytes to petabytes, even to something called exabytes. And in case you're curious, that's a billion gigabytes. So how do we use all this data better? Well, right now, much of our data is collected in isolated bits. It gets used for a single purpose and then discarded. Think of the thermometer in your house. It measures the temperature, might turn your air conditioning on and off, and then the data is deleted. Well, what if all the thermometers in a city could send their information to a central hub, and that could be used to predict electricity demand, trigger output at a generating plant. It's the same data just being used collectively. And that is just the start. Using an Internet of Things approach, imagine the communication going both ways. What if, in a time of high demand, the power utility could adjust your thermometer and everyone else's in the city by a single degree? Maybe this could alleviate the demand spike and ensure reliable power for everyone. This would reduce costs and improve performance. What if we weren't just talking about your house? What if we were talking about an entire suburb, a city? Imagine what could be possible. Imagine what IoT could do for emergency services or environmental monitoring if we could design a city with these concepts baked in. The city of Joondalup in the northern suburbs of Perth has a park that they're calling the first smart park in the country. It's a collection of simple ideas and well-placed sensors. For example, it has garbage bins that send a signal when they're full. That's so you don't waste time going to empty bins just because a scheduled tactile wall says you should. And it also keeps the park clean because you don't have bins overflowing waiting for the designated pickup day. There's also weather monitoring and traffic detection sensors in the park. It all sounds great, until you consider that this is adding to the ocean of data that we're already at risk of drowning in. Later in this series, we'll explore how IoT can solve problems in agriculture by having automated tractors harvesting crops in the middle of the night. We'll also look at water monitoring to help mitigate the impacts of droughts on both people and industry. But that's all for another day. Today we're talking about cities. I'm Michael Werrett. I'm the coordinator for Smart Cities Framework for Sunshine Coast Council. Michael is an entrepreneur, a visionary, 
and a disruptor. He's been very bold when it comes to pushing for big changes we need to improve our cities. To build a a smart city, what do you need to do first? Is it a technical question? Do you install a bunch of sensors or do you need to move the public mindset? Look, I think you're uh, closer to it with moving the public mindset and the people that represent them on the Sunshine Coast are our councillors. They've chosen to take a proactive response to the digital disruption that's coming as part of the fourth industrial revolution. So we had steam, electricity, mobility, and what's happening with us right now is we're seeing with the internet being made available everywhere is this thing we call uh, the digital revolution. And so with that, council's seeing a whole lot of change that's occurring uh, around the world and we're anticipating as much of that as we can be in being on the front foot Uh, to um, provide the best possible outcome for our region. It's actually an organisational transformation process with smart cities. We're looking at things in a digital way to the way we used to do in an analogue sense. We're using innovation at its core. We're taking things that uh, have traditionally been done in a silo approach and we're starting to do the more complicated things. Um, And through that process, we're actually requiring that the organisation changes its view in how it provides services, understands that new technology can create greater efficiencies. Do you think this IoT revolution is going to happen in the heart of the bigger cities to start or is it going to be taking root in smaller towns, suburbs, where, where are the green shoots going to be seen? Look, IoT has been happening on uh, industrial uh, centres and mining um, rigs all over the world for 30 or 40 years. Uh, I know of people who have been on uh, some of the oil rigs um, all over the world and they see 30 to 40,000 sensors on those, on those uh, places um, operating to shut down an emergency and to make sure that everything's operating to maximum efficiency. So that's where it's all kicked off. And the reality is that now we are starting to see some of the larger cities. Uh, you might look at Barcelona, Amsterdam, a whole range of different places are well known for having all sorts of smart approaches to what they do and Internet of Things those devices at the end of it are really starting to come through and we're seeing them here on the Sunshine Coast right now. So if a city or a neighbourhood wants to, you know, smarten itself up, get into this sort of innovation, is it costly? And how long after you start do you start to see results and a return on investment? One of the things that Sunshine Coast Council's had in place since 2016 is a Wi-Fi network. And it's grown from uh, 55 access points, hotspots, out to over 200. There is a cost to providing that service and, you know, we have 12,000 people using it each week and about eight terabytes of data. But the way Council uses that information that we get from that network is to help us plan our paths and our uh, CapEx builds across the coast and inform where we do things and what priority. And we do that by understanding the movement of people across using the MAC addresses that come out of the Wi-Fi and so there's uh, our vacuum waste system that's um, going to be operational next year That and the sensors around it will help us to actually take garbage trucks off the road and actually make sure that it's a cleaner and more efficient area using less CO2. Michael is the coordinator of the Smart City Framework on the Sunshine Coast, a city that's expecting 40% growth over the next two decades. So they need to be able to deliver services efficiently. Developing an efficient IoT system for a smart city brings us back to that problem of infobesity, too much data. But I want you to consider the form the data comes in, because although it's a lot when you aggregate it, 
each sensor is actually only sending a tiny packet of information. It's like the difference between carrying a brick or a few kilos of sand. They both weigh the same, but one is much more difficult to transport. The best approach for IoT data is to use a narrow band network, like the one just made available in all major cities by Telstra. It's a system that uses very little power, but can transmit small bits of information over long distances. Perfect for temperature or moisture sensors, things you expect to work constantly for many years. I I saw a city brochure from the Sunshine Coast saying a smart city could reduce crime by... 20%. How do you reduce crime by making a city smarter? Crime prevention through environmental design is a term that's often used by police officers and and councils looking to reduce the opportunity for crime to occur. So uh, lighting, um, using the way trees and vegetation is placed, even the way buildings are placed so that people can see through and have the safety as they walk along at night. And in some areas, what we're looking at doing is introducing lights that come on where people walk into them. So they're the darker spaces, perhaps, to be able to reduce some of that crime. The priority is actually about making that environmental design and introducing things that help to change the environment so people have a safer experience. You talked about efficient garbage collection. This plan calls for 20% less traffic jams. How can you reduce traffic through a smarter city. When you take a a bigger picture of the entire Sunshine Coast, um, you have different peak periods and you have the ability to actually help people understand where there's congestion occurring ahead of time. And it's through uh, making information available to them in real time around where their parking spaces are closest to where they're looking for. So we'll be trialling parking space sensors in the new Marichal City Centre um, from July or August this year as part of determining a way of getting information into people's hands on their TomTom, Garmin, Navman and Apple and Android. And so by doing that, we want people to be able to get to where there's a parking space closest to where they want to get to without having to orbit around and waste time. Hallelujah. Sing it, brother. I can, I'm <laughs> going to be parking on the Sunshine Coast. Timing is everything. And it's complicated when you're combining government officials and public funding, which tend to move slowly, with technology, which moves breathtakingly fast. Do cities need to move in this direction faster or is there an argument to wait for the technology to mature before spending public money to to implement it? Uh, Good question, Adam. And one of the things that Council does through its trialling and and living laboratory at Calandra is actually to test what we call two or three widgets. We test at small scale before we deploy at a large scale. And so when we work out how to get greater efficiency with waste bin sensors or other devices at a small scale, we work out whether that will be viable over the longer term and then we work towards deploying at scale. And every time we make these small incremental changes, we're actually increasing the pace of change for our region but without necessarily adding a cost burden. But when we look at individual smart city features, Adam, we really need to get down into the weeds and actually understand whether something is about operating over a longer term period of time. And as we do that, we're approached by uh, businesses that come to us. And the example I'll use is looking at um, the humble uh, street pole, the one that's had our traditional halogen and mercury lamps that have had a higher poisonous gases use in them over the years and we're replacing them with LED. But on that same pole, we're looking to add additional features And as we uh, do that work, we're looking for business partners and other companies to work with us 
uh, and perhaps reduce the cost um, as we look for things like the increase in uh, 3G and 4G from the carriers to be able to actually have their devices on our poles means that we might be able to increase some revenue there. Michael, when you allow yourself to dream, what's something you could picture being part of a smart Sunshine Coast 20 years from now that kids would just take for granted that would blow my mind? Well, let's start with something that might be a little bit closer to to town. Instead of using Wi-Fi and wireless connectivity, let's look at whether we can be using Li-Fi, using light um, for connectivity. Why use Li-Fi? Higher security, faster transmission rates and uh, more convenient because there's light everywhere. So we're looking at how internet can provide that kind of connectivity and a greater experience for this community here. So you might hear more about that later on this year. I asked you to blow my mind, you certainly have. It's been wonderful speaking with you, Michael. Thank you very much for your time. It's a pleasure, Adam. So that's the view from the Sunshine Coast. But every city is unique, and so are its challenges. We'll travel south to meet our next guest, who comes from Tasmania, where Launceston has become the first city connected to Telstra's IoT network. Hi, I'm John Perry. I'm the Tasmanian Coordinator General responsible for investment attraction, major project facilitation and red tape reduction in Tasmania. I'm also Chair of Enterprise Tasmania Limited, which is an organisation set up to build the startup ecosystem in the state. Launceston's always been a leader in innovation. It was founded 200 years ago and was the first city in Australia to have underground sewers. It was also the first to be lit by hydroelectricity. I think it goes back to history, really. It's actually the third city established in Australia and has always had to fend for itself in the sense that it's really been a hub for industry and development. Launceston had the first city chamber of commerce. The first inventor of the notepad was in Launceston as well. And so I think part of it is that just with a little bit of isolation, they've had to really make things happen for themselves. And that was back when the notepad was literally a notepad, a pad of paper that you took notes on. Exactly. The innovation train has not stopped in Launceston. It's it's chugging ahead. Tell us about this new $3.6 million initiative with Telstra. What's it going to produce? The project that we're working on is a smart city project that brings together a partnership which is quite innovative of four councils that have responsibility for the Greater Launceston area, the state government, the University of Tasmania and Telstra. Um, And it looks to really transform Launceston in a way that will be very exciting for residents and also capitalises on a very significant investment that's being made in the city and the City Heart project. What has Telstra been to the partnership? What's Telstra's role? Part of it is um, as a technology and solutions provider. But one of the other aspects that resonated so much with us was its good city strategy and good city program, really bringing together new technology, big data to make great decisions in urban development. One of the most significant is utilising Telstra's incredible capability and access to big data to then help us make the city more vibrant and make sure that the decisions that we make um, really set the city up for innovation into the future. When you talk about smart cities or cities of the future, the imagery is usually sleek glass buildings and mass transit systems, all very urban, very modern. But by choosing to invest in northern Tasmania, Telstra signalling that IoT can motivate change all across the country. That investment has made Launceston a great place to test new IoT applications. One entrepreneur has unveiled a tracking device that fits into a wearable device, like a necklace or wristband. 
the sensors worn by people with dementia. It learns their behaviour, and if they start travelling erratically or venturing out of their normal routine, it alerts family members or caregivers so they can make sure everything's all right. It's a piece of technology that gives dementia patients more freedom, but at the same time, more protection. The area around Launceston is historically an agricultural region. Is any of this investment in technology going to filter through to agriculture as an industry? By necessity, they are. There's a lot of work going on using sensor technology and the internet of things. So placing sensors on the land to get information in real time to help make decisions. And that there are examples of that in viticulture, using sensors to identify evaporation, to pick up early signs of frost, um, to make sure that you can get the best out of your crop. And there are other examples using sensor technology to get feedback in relation to the moisture in soil, and so understanding when you need to use your irrigation. So all of those things are really about making sure that you can instantly react, have great information, and make sure you, you get the best yields and productivity from your agricultural crop. This was a partnership that was announced in January of 2018. What's the timeline? When will we start to see things filtering through? Well, um, quite a lot's happened already, in fact. One of the big outputs for councils is leading-edge 3D modelling for the whole city that encompasses not just individual municipal regions but looks at the whole city. So the 3D models have only just become operational and so they're just now being used. The potential into the future is by using the Telstra de-identified data that looks at and maps people as they use the city and we can identify from that whether it's a visitor or a worker or a student how they're using the city, how they're using public spaces. Are there ways in which we can improve transport? Are there ways we can improve services? This week, um, we're already starting to use them. Most IoT sensors are used to track pretty mundane stuff, like moisture content in the soil, garbage in the bin, the temperature of the air. But a sensor network can pay huge dividends in an emergency. It could tell firefighters responding to a fire how many people are in a building, even what floor they're on. That could be life-saving information if they're able to retrieve it instantly. Paint a picture for me, John, into the future. What do you dream of this sort of technology providing? Into the future, it's about making sure that you have very informed and up-to-date information to make the best decisions and to plan for the future. So I think that's one part. The other aspect of it is is really to, to keep Launceston at the leading edge as an attractor for particularly startups to come here and to try on new ideas using these different technologies, using, for example, different IoT networks that are operational in the city, capitalising on the um, incredible digital infrastructure that we have here um, and building new businesses and new ecosystems here. That's, the, that's what we expect to happen into the future. Well, John Perry, good luck as Launceston continues to blaze the trial. Thanks very much. Smart cities are not just a fun little diversion. They are essential to our health as a country. Consider this. In the last five years, Sydney has grown by a million people. And that growth is not slowing down. So sewers, highways, communications, power generation, access to public parks, everything is going to have to scale up and adapt quickly. And the only way to do that is to build systems that are smart. Well, that's it for this episode of Telstra's Behind the Mic. 
Enormous thanks to Michael Werrett from the Sunshine Coast and John Perry from Launceston for joining us. You can subscribe to the show through iTunes or your favourite podcasting app if you'd like to understand more about connecting technology with your world. By subscribing, you'll get notified when the next episode's released. In that one, we'll be looking at supply chain management. That thing you don't ever think about until it completely messes up. We'll talk to people who are passionate about getting the right number of parts to the right places at the right time, all with the help of the Internet of Things. Also, you can check out other apps from Telstra Behind the Mic. Open conversations on insights, inspirations and innovation. For example, Stephen Dubner, the author of Freakonomics, was our guest not long ago. It's basically a walking, talking smart city. He's got an incredible ability to cut through a big pile of statistical information and zero in on what is the most compelling. So when we tell the story about drug dealers and why they live with their moms, that's not you know, a big unifying theory of everything that, that you're gonna, that's going to make you change your life. But on that point, we feel pretty confident that we've told a story that's maybe interesting and definitely true. You can hear my whole conversation with Stephen by downloading Telstra Vantage Behind the Mind. It's a really fun chat. If you don't already know Stephen Dubner, well, I think you should. Be sure to check that out when you're looking for your next podcast. I'm Adam Spencer. Thanks for listening. <laughs>